Before we begin, we'd love to highlight our podcast sponsor, Jane. Jane is a practice management software designed to help health and wellness practitioners manage their practices with features like online booking, admin scheduling, customizable notes, and integrated payments. I found Jane about six and a half years ago through another practitioner who recommended Jane for me. And as soon as I looked it up, I knew it was going to be the right fit. It was super user-friendly. The staff were all very, very helpful for a newbie and non-tech savvy person like me. And I have never, ever regretted my decision to go with Jane. Jane makes it easy for you to meet with individuals, couples, and families. This means you can offer flexible session types such as one-on-one or group telehealth that suit your schedule and the needs of your clients. To learn more about Jane and their full suite of features, head to jane.app slash mental health. If you're ready to get started with Jane, you can use the code EDGECOUCH1MO, so that's EDGECOUCH, the numerical number one, M-O, for a one-month grace period on your new account. And now on to the episode. Welcome to season five of Edge of the Couch. We are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to talk about in school or even supervision. Edge of the Couch is not training or supervision. It is for student therapists, new therapists, and therapists wanting to continue to explore their evolving therapist identities and ways of working. When we are talking about clients, please know we are deeply committed to protecting client confidentiality. We are too passionate therapists and good friends sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Come join us at the edge of the couch. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Allison McCleary. And I'm Jordan Pickell. And we wanted to start today before hopping into the actual episode by thanking each and every one of you who has written us a review over the last several months. That's something that we have been really hoping people will do. I think the joke that we made is, Hey, if you've ever sent us a positive DM on Instagram, just go ahead and write that right in a review, copy paste if you want to. (laughs) And so we've noticed a a couple of people have done that. And we just want to say thank you so much to every single person who has written a review. It it means a lot to us and it, it helps us a lot to grow and to be seen by more people. And uh, it also just helps us to know what's resonating for people. So it's an overall positive experience we don't have a reply option. And so we would like to reply to those of you who are thoughtful enough to take the time to give us a review. Thank you so much. Yeah. And there's this funny thing that happens with Apple podcasts where you can only see the reviews given in that region. So (laughs) Jordan, when she visits her family can see all of the American reviews. I can always see all the Canadian ones, but we're not sure if there are like people reviewing it in other parts of the world, like Australia or something. And we're just not seeing those. So we're just going to say thank you to everybody who has done it because it is surely, surely helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're very thankful. We are talking about a very cool topic that actually came up. So if if people remember, um, Jordan and I have kind of been facilitating a new therapist community group that has been meeting every three months to do check-ins and have conversation and discuss what's coming up clinically for people. And yesterday we just had our third meeting, which was very, very cool, very fun. And a topic came up that really felt like a perfect topic for the podcast. And so this conversation is going to be about approach, therapeutic approach versus theoretical orientation, how the two are different, how they overlap and what that means in terms of our actual practice of therapy. 
it'll become more clear as we, as we talk about it. And what's interesting about this episode that is not typical about other episodes is that we didn't write any notes. (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel about that, Jordan? No, no. I I feel fine about it. I think that this is, this is a topic that doesn't have as many specifics of Mm -hmm. things that like, I want to touch on this and this and this. And it's more about us talking about the framework that we think about therapy how do we talk about the way that we work? And maybe this is also a way of introducing a topic that we have for one of our workshops. When now transitioning from student to therapist workshop, which we will likely offer. Oh, we, I think we did it last April. So maybe we need we to should. pick a date. Yeah. We, we really need to pick a date, pick a date here. <laughs> May or June, I guess yes. it'll be yes. coming. Yeah. Your direction. So we will have a workshop. And I think that this really lends well to, to that. How do you work and how do you talk about it? Totally. And we're also doing that hilarious thing that we do where we think that we have a plan and then a, a topic comes up that is so good that we're like, you know what, we should talk about this instead. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to yeah. say that this is still fan requested because it came up in the group. And so we're still sticking with the season theme, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> okay, let's talk about it. Approach versus theoretical orientation. What comes up for you when we say that? Approach versus theoretical orientation. So the way when you bring that up, the thing that I immediately thought of is theoretical orientation being sort of the identity, especially as a new therapist that becomes like these different groups of um, like we're CBT therapists, we're existential therapists. I think people do CBT, narrative, act, um, act, but just in terms of the ones that we choose from in school, I think are much more narrow than how people oh, actually 100%. talk about their work. And not yes. just approach, but theoretical orientation that, yes, at least when we were in school, somatic approaches wasn't like a theoretical orientation. DBT wasn't even no. one that people Mm-mm. talked about. No. So it, the landscape has changed a lot. And you're right that at school, they kind of, they, they show you like seven Mm-hmm. And they're like, you pick from one of these seven ones. And there are actually like endless numbers of theoretical orientation that you, maybe that you don't get introduced to until after you are working independently. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I think for a lot of schools, they will say something like, okay, you choose one and then you do all of your homework, all of your papers through that lens. Yeah, this came up in the conversation yesterday, was, which is that programs really push new therapists to select one. And we had to, in order to do our qualifying exam, you had to pick a theoretical orientation and answer the questions of the exam through that lens. Yes. So there is kind of this, I guess, necessary. I don't know. That's I think that's a contentious issue, perhaps. But students have to pick one and then think about therapy through that one singular framework to graduate. Yeah, I could see how it can be limiting, but thinking about where I was at the time, I think it's really helpful to have that ground. We do have an episode about this called Finding Your Theoretical Orientation. I think it was in season three. Three? Yeah, Yeah, that sounds right. Sounds right. right. And when you are sitting with a client, a client, quote unquote, who's usually a classmate, like your first client. Yes. And you're having to figure out what am I going to do next? What question am I going to ask? What am I listening for? I don't know if you remember, but just sitting there being like deer in the headlights, I have no idea what to do next. And so to have a theoretical orientation, you have this idea of like, okay, this is the information that I need in order to have a a better conceptualization of this person. So these are some of the questions I'm going to ask. These are some of the concepts I'm going to be listening for. And I think that that helps to make sense of what you're looking at. You're right. 
I can see really the pros and cons that it's helpful to have a stepping off point, a foundation. Like you said, there's kind of like ground beneath me when I'm sitting across from someone and I know that I'm taking a narrative approach. I love the idea of that helping then to be tuned into like, what is the content that the client is sharing that is relevant to this theory? And I can see how the reason why I think it can be problematic is because I think that it arbitrarily makes it seem like when you are an independent therapist, that's how you're going to practice. Totally. Yes. And that, that is not true at all. I, I said this yesterday in the group. I don't think I know there are, you know, maybe some psychoanalysts out there, maybe some CBT people that are strictly adhering to only like the skill set within that orientation. But much more commonly, people are pulling from all over the place to make their therapy effective for their clients. When you brought up that satchel metaphor Mm -hmm. um, during the metaphors episode, I really like that because there's the overarching idea of how change happens. We've talked about that before, how change happens or how illness happens. Um, and that being the foundation. And then here are all the tools, here are all the magnifying glasses, yes. um, you know, that kind of see the different um, the different parts of what's coming up for a person. And that you might, in independent practice, you might realize this person is actually requiring some s- specific CBT work and, yes. um, and this framework. And yes. so you will take off temporarily take off kind of your theoretical orientation, put this one on and be like, okay, we are doing this totally. piece of work. And that's not necessarily you changing theoretical orientations, but it can be this pretty significant, like we're changing the frame. I'm changing the frame and I also have them and I know them. So I'm able to do that pretty fluidly. I have a solid grasp on those things that I can employ them when they come, um, when it feels especially helpful with a certain client. I think the great thing about our theoretical orientations, in my uh, personal opinion, right, is that they allow for neither one of our orientations says like <laughs> this is how to do therapy, which is so nice because I actually think of our orientations as the framework. I can still believe that pain and suffering are caused by the the existential givens, mm-hmm. and I believe that for specific clients, the easing of that pain is going to be done through different things. The orientation is kind of like the umbrella mm-hmm. and underneath it is, is whatever is going to be helpful for your clients, which sometimes is like, yes, rooted in another orientation, or it could be like coloring. I guess we could say it's like art therapy or something, but is less even about theory is more just about what is going to be helpful right now for the client. For some of these theories like narrative or CBT, those are much more tools based exactly. anyway, exactly, or interventions based. And so in those, it really does feel like pulling it out of your satchel and mm-hmm. using it. And you're right. I think that's what's interesting about this conversation and you and me having it because you and I do not have no. the kind of theoretical orientations that we need to take off in order to do any no. other type of work that I can continue to have. So just if you haven't been listening for a long time, Allison is existential and I am relational cultural. And I think that if you were to actually go get down to brass tacks, we have very similar ways yes. of talking about things that very have different language. Totally. Um, but that, that those frameworks have been really helpful in us talking because I think relational cultural is also a huge thing about your practice and existential is also deeply embedded in the way that I practice. And I would call that as part of my frame. 
yeah, the, the thing that I love about them as theoretical orientations is there's so much permission. Yeah. It's like nothing is off the table where mm-hmm. maybe if I'm this like hardcore purist with mm-hmm. DBT, say, then maybe other things are going to feel more off the table because there is more like I need the client to learn these skills. Yes. I need them to be able to do these things versus like essential. It's like, we just go where we go, baby. Mm-hmm. This is the piece, right? So theoretical orientation is one thing we're saying it's a framework. We're saying it answers specific questions. What, what information should I pay attention to? What's relevant? What do I do next? Orientation helps us with all of that. Yeah. What is theory in theory, theory, right? That's what it's called theoretical orientation. So it's (laughs) the, I think even now you and I are getting sort of lost in the semantics of like, okay, is it frame? Is it tool? And so it's more when they talk about theoretical frame, it's literally how you make sense of it in a theoretical way, not necessarily how you would make sense of it in conversation. Yes. Yes. In conversation with clients. And so when I think about approach, is how you would describe your work to somebody else. How does the client feel with you? Sure. What will it look like? Sure. Um, like your theoretical orientation might be CBT, but is your approach that you're taking on a notebook, a workbook, and you're going to be doing that kind of work? Because yes. you can be a CBT therapist that has completely different approaches. Yes. So how do you actually, what does it actually look like? And what does it feel like to do therapy with you? I think that's it, right? That we can have 10 therapists lined up who all say that they work from the same specific orientation framework, like this theory, but that their approaches are going to be so different depending on that person's personality, Mm -hmm. um, what, how they, how they want clients, the words that they use, right? How they introduce skills. So you're going to see some people who go, I think that I, you know, now's a good time for me to teach you about this skill. And they're actually going to say those words. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have some therapists who are weaving it in much more like as if they've just kind of spontaneously happened upon a thought and yeah. it's not coming up in the same, like, I'm going to teach you a skill now way. And I want to mm-hmm. make it clear that there's no good or bad in that, mm-hmm. that different therapists do it differently and different clients need different things from their therapists. I love the idea of thinking about what matters to us as therapists. We we've had this in the workshop where people will select. So we kind of have this list of values. We invite people to think about the ones that are core to their work. And sometimes people's values, it's like, I'm like, oh yeah, wow. And sometimes people put like professionalism and like teaching and these types of words that speak a lot to approach, even if they have a very similar theory again to us or to other people. So it is more, yeah, style, tone, words you use, mm-hmm. things that you do, all of these types of things that are much more informed by our approach to therapy, less so than framework or theory. Yeah, I would say approach is much more loosey-goosey and broad. Yeah. And hard to articulate, right? So approach will be when somebody asks you in a consultation, we have a consultation episode. Season three as well, I think. Season three. Season three. Um, and- we talk about how how you might talk about your work and that might include describing your theoretical orientation if you do dbt if you do emdr you should mention that when you're talking about your work yeah wow. especially you- if you want to be attracting those specific types of clients yes. who want that thing it's very but, important to do that but if you have something like narrative when when somebody comes to it 
a consultation with you, you don't necessarily have to say, I have a narrative approach because they don't know what that means. So in terms of what your approach is, you might say, it looks conversational. Yes. I try to equalize the power between you and me. So I'll, uh, you know, we're going to kind of figure things out together. Um, and language is really important to yes. me. So we're going right. to be talking about the language that we use around um, what's coming up, like as the, the issues mm-hmm. in the sessions, but also just as your as the presenting concerns, which maybe you won't use that language because that's jargon. Um, I try to remind students not to use jargon, and so it's so approach. hard is how you talk about your work without using jargon, unless it is something that you need to say because it's like a brand, you know, like EMDR. People need know yes. what that is. People who are yes. looking for that want to know what that is. But I think new therapists get caught in feeling like they have to disclose all their approaches if somebody asks, like, or the theoretic orientation. Sometimes I use ADP and I use... Um, so if we were in a consultation and a client asked me, okay, what, so what are your, what's your approach? Maybe as a new therapist, I would say, well, I'm narrative and uh, I am a feminist therapist and um, I work with body a little bit. That's how, where I was back then versus now I'll be like, well, it looks very conversational and I'm going to share more of my thoughts and I'll definitely continue to ask you about what's going up, what's coming up. I work with lots of people who have developmental trauma. So I talk a little bit about the population that I work with and my approach sort of informs, obviously, or my population informs how I work. Mm-hmm. But I'm not necessarily going to go down the list of theoretical orientations that or frameworks that I apply. It's on my website. They could look it up if it means anything to them. Yeah. But that's not how it feels in session. Like there's so many theoretical frames that I bring into session that you don't you wouldn't be able to decipher what's what necessarily no. unless you have a master's degree in counseling. Yes. Right. And even then there's yeah. new ones popping up all the time. And I'm like, what oh, is yeah. that? I've never heard of that. Right. Um, I think what we're saying here is that theoretical orientation does not dictate approach. Mm-hmm. Like th- that they're they can be separate things that our approach can our approach is kind of independent to maybe there's a Venn diagram more. There's pieces yes. that overlap, but that if you are going to be a DBT therapist, it does not mean you have to show up in this very specific way. You yeah. can show up in that in ways that are much more fluid. And I think that that is a piece that as a student, I got stuck on and I'm hearing from new therapists getting stuck on that they think because I do this approach, because this is the way that I make sense of therapy, it feels like I have to look like this as a therapist. Mm-hmm. We, I think, are giving permission that your framework can be whatever it is. The theory that fits best for you fits best for you. And you still get to decide how you want to look as a therapist and how you want to feel as a therapist and the words that you want to use or whatever. Sometimes we get language from theory and that's really helpful, but we can do it in our own way. And I 100% agree with that. And I believe it. And that's how I practice. And then as you were speaking, I thought, hmm, I have one caution that I want to give to listeners to, which is informed by EMDR research, which shows that therapists who veer off the model get less uh, favorable results. And it's because when you're doing EMDR, it feels very counterintuitive. Like a lot yeah. of it feels very encounter to counter counterintuitive. Like people are going to feel worse. Yeah. And so I think it's really helpful to think about that as a tool. For me, it's helpful to think of it as a tool rather than a theoretical frame. But there, we have to be careful about what we throw out. 
because you don't want to get back to square one in, well, loosey goosey, I'll take, I'll take whatever. Like when people say I'm eclectic, that's part of um, when we were in school, that was kind of a, a bad word. It was like, you yeah, now you say integrated and integrated is I think more accurate because if you're, if you're eclectic, then do you have a theoretical ground? Yes, Again, this is right. semantics and it's okay to describe it in so many different ways, but we don't want to haphazardly decide this is Throw what I want to do the today. Wall. Yes. I think as experienced therapists, we can do it fluidly and we have skill in being able to weave things in together. And for new therapists, if you don't live in your original theoretical framework, and you just start chucking things out. I don't like this part. I don't like that part. Mm. Maybe you don't fully get to understand why it's there. I don't know. I, I think that good point. I see that I'm maybe getting consistent with the messaging we're getting in grad school about you need to learn this first and um, in order to pull anything else in. And I don't believe that. I think it's pretty rigid. Yeah. I just have this image and maybe it's a straw man doesn't exist image of a new therapist who might be listening to this and going like, well, I can just make it up. Yeah. 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 yeah I can yeah, just yeah. go with what feels right. Mm-hmm. Like Jordan and Allison are saying, you know, each with each client, do what you want. Therapy, yeah. What you want, and yeah, yeah. just try things out. And I actually do, be- do believe that when I say it, but to a degree to a degree. And so I want, I want to be more nuanced in maybe the way that I'm thinking about or talking about it. If you are going to pull something out of the satchel, I think we're agreeing that like EMDR is much more of a set of skills than a theoretical orientation. Mm -hmm. If you are going to pull out a skill and you are collaboratively agreeing with the client that that is a thing that you are going to do, you need to know how to do it and you need to do Mm -hmm. it to completion when it is appropriate. So then I think about even like imaginal, uh, if you do like component-based psychotherapy, a big thing that they talk about is that it is irresponsible to take a client back to a younger version of themselves and not like put a bow on that exercise. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you, you know, if you say to that younger version of yourself, I'm coming back, I'm going to come back at some point, you have to take the client back yeah. because so that to me is more like, if we are going to pull from the satchel, we have to do it right. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that you know the skill well enough and you have to be able to, I don't know, like, what is that? Like, do it well, do it right. Follow the like guidelines of that skill. But well, just that you're not making it up. Like, right, I think there's something right. to play with something and to try things out. But it's different than I think the we should be deliberate. And sometimes that means being a bit tentative. Yes. Right? It's not just like, let me throw this at the wall. We want to do empty cheer. I've never done it before. Right. I, I don't really know what it means. I don't really know what it means. But here, why don't you do this? And it's like, know what that is. And there will be a f- first time for everything. Whoever's listening, this probably isn't your problem because you're probably pretty deliberate in the way that you practice and <laughs> have imposter syndrome and get the idea, the rigidity from school. But I do want, yeah, to have this middle place of like, know what you're doing, have a groundedness, try things out, but in a way that's tentative, like this might work, this might not. How do I get the client on board? I might not use with EMDR, you should use the language, but I might not say we're going to use a DBT skill now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You might not do that. Right. But I hope that you say, hey, this is something that works. That's worked for other people. We can um, I can maybe go through it and it may or may not fit for you. Yeah. And then be somewhat competent in being able to explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. 
and understanding risks and benefits, I think mm-hmm. is really big. So that if you're doing an empty chair technique, which is a wonderful, I think, beautiful tool sometimes, y- you know, being able to really sit with how that can make clients feel yeah. and what can go wrong in an empty chair technique. And um, are you checking in around regulation and all of these things that, yeah. So, okay. Here's what we're saying. We're saying theoretical orientation is a framework. Approach is style and using skills specifically can be done from multiple theoretical orientations, but we need to be intentional about using them. Yeah. One, we're getting semantic, right? But I know CBT is both a theoretical orientation and a set of skills and a set of skills. Yes, exactly. And we use the same language to talk about both, but it is different because because I can use a CBT skill in a session and Mm -hmm. still not be rooted in theory of CBT. Exactly. But I can't (laughs) be rooted in CBT therapy and not use any of the CBT skills, right? Like if I'm saying I believe in one theoretical orientation of CBT and then I'm never introducing my clients to these cognitive pieces. um, Then you're probably not a CBT therapist. I don't know. You're probably not CBT, which I think is like a reckoning that happens for new therapists is this like dawning on of like, oh, I thought I was this, but I'm not. I'm so curious about listeners' journeys around that, whether you're, especially if you're in new practice or you're later on in your, after you've done practicum and you realize, oh, I'm not what I thought I was. And does your school support you in being able to switch that up and be able to speak about it in this new way? Or do they say, nope, you already picked one. Which we see. We've seen schools repeatedly say to students, don't you selected this your first day on campus. And so that's Mm -hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. Even though now you're seeing clients and you know that you don't want to do it that way. It's rigidity around what I was saying earlier about saying like, well, you need to learn one before you go to another. And maybe you're being kind of flaky and just saying, ah, let me just throw this one away and let me try this one. But no, I think that there's an inner knowing sometimes about like, oh, I came thinking I was going to be a CBT therapist and I'm actually a deeply somatic therapist. Yeah. So fundamentally different. Very, very different. Yes. It absolutely does not serve a student to continue to make presentations and conceptualization papers um, with the CBT frame when they're not CBT therapists. Oh, my gosh. That sounds like the worst. (laughs) Well, and then paper through a CBT frame uh, conceptualizing one of my clients. Oh, my God. That. A paper and then having to Awful. actually try to record audio of me doing that with like, mm-hmm. this is the other piece is they have to be bringing in recordings or videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to show the use of those skills. Yeah. I mean, this is the other thing too, that I think when you have a skills-based approach, which again, we're saying neither of us do is like, the reason I dislike that is, is because sometimes that skill just doesn't fit for the client. It doesn't make sense in this moment to be introducing. And so if I don't have the skills to fall back on, if there isn't a skill to do in a skills-based approach, like let's give an example. Like we have EMDR therapy, which great, lovely. People like it. Um, Let's imagine your client comes to you. It's week four. It's eight weeks, right? Is the regular protocol for EMDR? Oh, it can be at least the way that I do that. It can be, it's until I forget okay. what it stands for, but so yeah, it gets yeah. to zero and that yeah, can take yeah. weeks and weeks. But yeah. so let's say you're halfway through the protocol, halfway mm-hmm. where you would expect to be. And the client comes in and they are very distressed about a totally different thing. And they yeah. want to talk about their breakup. They want to talk about school shootings, whatever. It's like, does your theoretical orientation and approach together allow for you to pivot as necessary with the client? Mm-hmm. And the thing that feels less helpful for me and, and that 
this is where my theoretical orientation and my approach are aligned is that there is space for me to just go where the client goes and feel less pressure to be like, oh no, I didn't teach a skill today, or I didn't encourage the client to use the skill we had already taught today. And does that mean that I'm not doing good therapy? Right. And this is maybe when thinking about approach, I think that there are approaches of organizations like nonprofits, school settings, where they will say, therapy looks like this. Our approach is this. We have homework at the end of each session. You need to be able to document homework. Yes. And um, that might not be our approach. So how do you hold, sometimes it's like all these different layers. Okay. My theoretic orientation, my approach, what actually looks like to sit with me. And then there might be the theoretical orientation or way of working of your setting where they say every eight sessions, you get eight sessions or like this is uh, yeah, you get eight sessions, so they need to be moving along. You're school therapists, and they need to be able to go back to school. Like, there's a very yeah. specific goal that you're working towards, and yet you have a student there who's talking about a breakup or whatever. Yeah, right? That's tough. tricky. It's really, especially as a new therapist, because now as a therapist, I'm like, screw those things. <laughs> like, if an agency is, you know what? I'm like, no. Which has happened to me so much, you know, motor vehicle stuff with ICBC in British Columbia, right. return to work programs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I actually was part of a thick think tank for this years ago now, like almost three for ICBC around their model of supplying counseling, because it is complete crap to try to get people to talk about the singular incident of a car accident. If that car accident has had this massive domino effect through their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the therapy is supposed to be oh, we talk about the, what's going to get them back to driving comfortably, you know, and it's like, this is cracked open trauma from decades ago that Mm -hmm. they didn't realize they had until they got into a car accident. Now they can't get out of bed. My goal is not going to be to get them driving again. This speaks to the evolution of psychotherapy. I'm not referencing the conference. I'm referencing the actual (laughs) actual evolution evolution of psychotherapy in that I think there was a time maybe even 10 years ago when we were graduating, CBT was a theoretic orientation and it was like kind of people would ask about it, right? I want CBT therapy or I want CB therapy. (laughs) They would just say CBT. My doctor said I should get CBT. Right. And I think that CBT skills have now become embedded in Mm -hmm. the way that a lot of us work. And same with psychodynamic. The idea that your childhood impacts who you are as a person was a relatively new idea. And now it's across theoretical orientations. It makes sense that. It's like fits. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, that's your parents were like that. And you may or may not actually do work on childhood. But that's a part of theoretical. It's like an underpinning that we all all carry now. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, here are these, these CBT skills. Here's we are all shaped by our childhoods in one form or another. And I think, you know, as time goes on, we also maybe not a whole somatic approach of therapy. Yes. But I, I think I that people say will that. say, oh, where do you feel in your body? And yeah. that will be true of, I mean, it's an EMDR and EMDR is manualized. And you yeah. ask, where do you feel that in your body? Yes. Fundamental truths that span orientations. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that that becomes integrated over time. You're right. So interesting. I mean, and it really speaks to why like theoretical orientation is the idea of separating ourselves into theoretical orientations to some degree is like silly because we know that it's not the thing that changes for clients anyway. It's not the thing that helps clients change. And oftentimes it feels like we're just repackaging all the same stuff. Yeah. We're all saying the same thing, just in different words. 
And even though there are some very important advancements and some, you know, near retirement age therapists who've been working for decades, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, you need to brush up on some of the new things. But in some other ways, it's like, oh, this is just repackaged stuff yeah. that we've been doing since I started that I actually learned in school. We just didn't have the language. Yeah, totally. As a side, do you think that we are moving towards a more integrated theoretical orientation? Do you think that there will always be, you have to pick a theoretical orientation in grad school? God. Uh, well, I think it takes a long time for academia to catch up to the real world. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the systems in place and academics never want to change. Although I think there will come a time when the you and I's and the generations younger than us will be the ones running institutions. I think that we are in the beginning of, sorry to throw CBT under the bus, an <laughs> anti-CBT movement in therapy. Hmm. I think that we are starting to see the limitations of CBT. I think we're starting to see the holes in all of the research that has informed our love of CBT for the last 30 years. And I think that fundamentally there is this anti-medicalized model that is starting to, to gain a lot of momentum that lends itself better to things that are different from CBT. So I don't know if CBT exists 50 years from now, not the yeah. way that it does. Yeah. Mm. You know, one reason why I loved the grad school picking of the theoretical orientations thing is it's yeah. like, it's like big five personality. Yeah, tests. totally. It's like, totally. what's my horoscope? It mm -hmm. felt like, you know, and being a young adult, which camp do I get to be in and yeah. trying on the different, That's true. That part's the different identities? And I found that so fun being in theories class and choosing, okay, yeah. which one am I? I just also felt like, Bad isn't the word, but I felt very different for wanting to do existential therapy. Mm -hmm. Like I felt, I, I remember feeling so surprised that like people were reading the same content as me and I was feeling like fundamentally shifted and moved and people were being like, yeah, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I love it. This is how I want to practice. And I hope that that is changing for people, that there's more space for like falling in love with your orientation, yeah. even if it's different from what but I, f I remember I wasn't permitted to do essentialism to graduate. I had to stick to, I think I had to use narrative. They wouldn't let me use it to complete my. That's so interesting. Exam. I wonder if I didn't ask permission because I did relational cultural and I had to teach my yeah. examiners what it was. Right. And so, cause it wasn't obviously something that like well known taught to us, but you know, I talk about the excitement on getting to choose. And then I, so I chose narrative initially because feminism was a huge yeah. part of my identity at the time. Yeah. It was like, and okay, it this is the feminist well. approach. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm pulling that on that. That feels true. And then as I did more work on it, it is this postmodern perspective that I'm just like, oh, but I have a body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a body and I, I think childhood is important. And yes. I need the real world to grab onto. And I think sometimes postmodern thought is like, we're all just... We're all just social constructions and changing every moment. I need something to grab onto. And so there was a point in my theoretical orientation journey that I felt really alienated. Me too. About like nothing yeah. fits. None of yes. these fit. And totally. I don't know what to do. And so when I found relational cultural, because it was so broad and just already how I think about the world, it felt like, okay, even though I'm never going to say I'm relational cultural unless a client specifically asks. Yeah, yeah. It was a place that I could call home. Yeah. 
this is a wonderful place for us to, what a great note to land on, mm. which is like sometimes finding the, theoretical orientation and approach is like coming home to something. And the great thing about approach is that you don't have to deny who you are. You get to still be yourself in the way that mm-hmm. you do therapy. Um, and that part's really great. And I think part of it is holding it lightly is when I found relational cultural, mm. it felt like I didn't have to be part of a camp because there wasn't a camp yeah. of theoretical orientation, uh, relational cultural therapist. Yes. And it felt more like, okay, this is exactly what it is. It's my theoretical orientation and I don't have me. to like, yeah, be yes. constrained by it. Yes. Yes. yes and yes, yes, yes. Um, I hope that if and when you choose one that you can hold it lightly and be curious and see how it feels. And I hope that your school supports you in being in that being able to change. Yeah, me too. How would you wrap us up? We hope that you come to our workshop that is TBA <laughs> because I think we talked a lot about theoretical orientation today and not so much about approach. Was, um, we sort of touched on approach. I, I, I think being able to talk with specificity about the way that you work is something that we, we really get down to in the workshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is how I show up. This is my style. And maybe we'll do another episode that talks about approach um, style specifically yeah. style mm-hmm. more specifically but um i think if you're interested in this topic you might want to go to our workshop yeah i love it i think the thing that i would land on is that you can begin to kind of separate theoretical orientation from the specific way that you show up mm-hmm. and that they can kind of inform each other but they don't have to be identical that you can be a therapist from a specific camp who shows up in this very unique way that doesn't look like yeah. other therapists from that same camp. And that that's, you're no less legitimate if you're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you uh, for the group yesterday for suggesting the topic and for encouraging us to record it. We're just so glad that you're here. You can get a hold of us in a couple of ways. You can message us on Instagram at edge of the couch pod. You can send us an email connect at edge of the couch.com, or you can join our wonderful Patreon community patreon slash edge of the couch yeah patreon.com yeah there you go thank you so much um yes. we hope to see you over there i think that our most recent patreon episode which is a cons- consultation talks about that sort of in-between space okay awesome. I, I learned some of these skills now what do i how do i work what am i focusing on now after that initial phase of like learning the basic skills. Totally. Yeah. Very good. So we hope to see you on Patreon and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Hey there, my name is Katie and I'm from Jane. Jane is a complete practice management software designed to help practitioners just like you manage their practices. With Jane's in-person and online appointments, you have a variety of options to ensure your clients receive the care they need. You can easily meet with your clients in a one-on-one setting or in a group with related clients like couples or family therapy. And when it comes to groups, we've made it even simpler to manage them in Jane. You can combine related clients under one name for quicker appointment scheduling, copy charts to chosen clients within the same session, and bill to one primary payer on an invoice. Come see how Jane can help you manage your practice at jane.app forward slash mental health. listening we'd love to hear from you send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think ask a question or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear you can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode 
You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. Oh, 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 o